study over the next little while the book of Hebrews. And so I want to talk to you just a little bit about it. And then we will read uh, Hebrews 1 and 1. And, and uh, so uh, we will, first of all, why don't we read so I can, uh, so we can pray. And then I want to tell you how we're going to do this. Could we read it aloud? Hebrews 1, verse 1. And then we're going to study all 13 chapters of Hebrews over the next little while. And I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. So let's read it together, shall we? God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Praise God. Let's, don't close your Bible because I need you to have it open, but why don't you set your Bible aside with it open like I just did because you don't have a pulpit, but you find a spot there. And, and set it aside. And let's lift our hearts and ask God to anoint his word. Father, I pray tonight that your word will be anointed to our hearts. I pray that our every effort to teach the word will go forth and bring forth, Lord, like rain from heaven. That it will water the earth and cause it to bring forth. I pray that our hearts will receive it and that we will be open to it. And that we will listen and that we will be receptive, O God. And we thank you and we praise you and we magnify your name. And we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. Now grab your Bibles. Let me talk to you a little bit about the way I envision this type of a Bible lesson. It's not always true and I don't want to overstate it, but... I believe there are times when it is good for us to study the Word of God in a whole fashion, not just a a scripture here and a scripture there. I think that's good. I sometimes think of that as topical teaching, and I love to teach that way. I don't mind it, but but I much prefer, I I long many times as, as a minister to teach the Word of God in its context, not just uh, a passage here and there. Although, you know, uh, there's, there's not, I'm really not meaning to take away from it. For example, if I'm teaching on tithing, well, then that's a powerful thing. It's a, it's a good thing, and, and we need teaching on tithing. Can you say amen? We need to tithe, and we need to be taught about it. And we need to be taught about giving, and we need to be taught about kindness. Well, the only way to do that is what I call topically, to look at things as, as, as a topic or as a, a message, and then we develop it and we look all through the scriptures for things that help us. But every once in a while, we feel, I feel very strongly that we should study an entire book of the Bible in its context and try to understand more than just uh, the enjoyable, fun, easy-to-glean type things, but to harvest that field in a way that we get all of it in and we're able to benefit from the depth of that book. And I've been longing to teach Hebrews, and I've held off, and I've said, no, okay, let's do this, and and I feel like we've been through a season of revival that is, that is good and we are going to benefit from it. And now I believe the Holy Ghost has uh, led us to look at uh, the book of Hebrews as a, as a book and to study it together. Now, if nobody ever comes back, well, I'll know that I should never preface 
uh, what I'm going to do tonight <clears throat> with these type of words. But uh, what I intend to do is uh, uh, sometimes the concern in teaching like this is that we will drag it out and it would be over such a long period of time. And so that might have a, uh, a negative effect. So we worry, we concern ourselves. And then sometimes, for example, I've been wanting to teach the book of Revelation for a number of years. Just go through it. And, and then I always draw back and say, well, 22 chapters, it's, it's, just, it's just a lot. And it would it'd be drug out over too long of a period. People will get tired and they'll, they'll, they'll want to move on. And sometimes the concern is that you're getting too much all at the same time. And the concern there is it would overwhelm you. For example, if I were trying to teach through, let's say, three chapters tonight, well, that'd be overwhelming. That's not possible. Not if you're going to do what I long to do, and that is dig deep into it. So what I've decided to do, and, and we'll give this a, a run this next several months, is to study Hebrews for two weeks every quarter. So that over this quarter, we've just ended the first month of the last quarter, but we still have time. We have tonight. We only need one more. Now, if we need to grab another Bible study night and, and conclude some of our study, in other words, we're going to make the study of Hebrews a priority. Every quarter, we're going to come back to it and we're going to look at it. I'm also, and I've, I almost wasn't going to say it, but I'm, I'm going to say it. If you would like copies to where you could follow along like you would like a copy of, let's say, like I've given tonight, I'm doing something I've never done before. Instead of using my PowerPoint and making it you know, do all that, which I typically do when I teach, I've given uh, copies of this to, our, uh, to Brother Jinx, and uh, he is going to display a picture of it. It's not PowerPoint at all. And I'm able to print that. Now, that does mean I, I don't want to just give you a bunch of black and white. So if you uh, if you want it and, and you decide not tonight, obviously, because I don't know if anybody cares for it. But if someone were to say, I would love a copy of that, then we'll prepare that each week, each time we're going to do it. And we'll give you the copies of what we're going to be teaching on. Now, tonight, we're only going to look at chapter one and that will that will suffice. And I'll probably have to move pretty quick to do that. But since there are only 13 chapters, we only really need to get to about three chapters a quarter, and we can cover the book of Hebrews. And so I want to, in just a moment, show you why I think that's important. And so we'll find time on the calendar. We're getting ready in a couple of, when are we, oh, uh, when are we having uh, our scheduling for our, all of our departments? When is that? Is that coming up? All right, December the 5th. I don't know how it got in December, but anyway, our, we're going to do all of our scheduling for the next year, and we're going to work on it on that Saturday. And we'll find a time in that calendar to spread out a study of Hebrews. Now, there's other books we need to look at and other topics and so on that are really on our hearts. A number of things I feel very strongly about. And I will assure you that we will be having sessions this next year on holiness of dress. And it will not be a, 
a thematic discussion. It's going to be very detailed. Why it is essential that we maintain a standard of dress. Not just, uh, well, this is holiness to me, but why the church holds a standard. And so we're going to do things like this. But we're also going to look at Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, and I don't know if he's already started this out. Okay, so he has. And so here we begin uh, our look at the book of Hebrews. First of all, as you can see from this picture, now all of you know that the temple is gone. There is no temple. How many know that there is no temple in Jerusalem right now? There is a temple mount. But there is no temple. There is a dome of the rock. There is all kinds of theories about where the temple must go, where it can't go, where it should go, and so on. But in the picture that you see behind me, and actually this is, this is a, a 3D rendition. It's supposed to, I don't know if you can, I, I don't want to keep turning around, but if, you, uh, if it's presented properly, if I got it on, I just took a picture of a picture. But this shows people walking around, and if you can see them, they kind of look like ants. Then that's to show the depth and the, and the size and the massiveness. If you, some of you won't remember, but I preached on Sunday night. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm just kidding. I preached on Sunday night about Solomon's porch and, and what many people think that was and, and who, what some people think it is. And some people don't think it's Solomon's porch at all and so forth. But the Bible calls it. See, one little thing in my uh, approach to Scripture is that I'm very conservative. I never challenge scripture i never look at scripture and say well that he was swallowed by a big fish that's not possible i always say if god wants a big fish to swallow somebody he'll make a way for it if he said the sun many scientists are troubled by the sun standing still that's not possible but if god wants the sun to stand still he'll make a way for it that's just the way it is all right so many people uh, have theories about the, the temple and its, its purpose and so on. But of course, the book of Hebrews really is about the splendor of the temple. That's what the book of Hebrews is about. It is, though, much more than that, because I'm starting with this because what, what uh, and if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to do me a favor. And I'm just going to assume that most of you are using a King James. If you're not, it's, that's not a scolding. But uh, I want you to look at me. I mean, look at it, not me. <laughs> oh, help me, Lord. Sister Fridge, come and teach this lesson. Okay, here we go. Um, I want you to tell me what it says above Hebrews. The epistle of Paul. Okay, so that's, as far as I'm concerned, that, that uh, settles it. Does anyone know why that's there? See, most scholars today do not believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. But does anyone know why that's there? Why it says the epistle of Paul. (laughs) Now, because I was just reading from a fairly conservative scholar recently that said hardly anybody anymore in the academic world believes that Paul wrote Hebrews. And then it lists the reasons and And they're very interesting and so on. The reason that is there is that that is written in the Greek manuscripts of 90% of all of the Greek manuscripts of the Bible. 
Now, some manuscripts don't have it there, but 90%. So that would mean, let's say roughly 6,000. There's about 6,000 Greek manuscripts of original, uh, original manuscripts. In other words, they're Greek from the first century, all right, or, or later, but they're Greek manuscripts of the, the Bible. That would mean then, what would 90% be? What's 10%? 600. Would that, am I right? 600 don't have it? Okay, so about 600, I don't, I'm, that's not true. I don't mean that. Strike that. 600 might not have it. That would depend on what type of manuscript that is. But 90% of the manuscripts have it there. And based on that, and the fact that for 2,000 years people believed it was Paul, it's only been recently. It's sort of like marriage. Things change. And someone said to me recently, you mean you're a scholar and you studied Greek and Hebrew and you believe Paul wrote that? Yes, I do. One reason is it's right there in my Bible. All right, so that's good enough. Let's leave that alone. All right, so the, the, the next thing, of course, is, so I'm going to say Paul all the time. I'm not going to say, well, it might have been Paul. It might have been Apollos. No, 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 I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say it's Paul because I believe it, says it right there, good enough for me. All right, now the next thing is that what is really of concern here is what can happen to a people when they get their eyes on the exterior and they are looking at all of this And they get their eyes off of the invisible. That's what Hebrews is really about. Someone said, oh, what a beautiful, oh, what an amazing, oh, that temple. Of course, it's long gone now. But at that time, in fact, I personally believe, and many, many scholars agree with this, that this book was written about a year before Paul himself was executed which would mean it was about 63 or 4 A.D. And so this is written at a time when prophetically no one knew what was, unless the Spirit told them, they wouldn't have known what was about to happen. And these Christians that are living around the temple are so impressed by it. In other words, to live your Christian life on impression and beauty and the exterior and not to live it because of who Jesus really is. Some people believe things because everybody else believes that. They're living a life based on what other people are living. And how many knows you need to get the truth no matter what anybody says. You need the truth in your life. And so the challenge was that Jewish believers were impressed, first of all, by the splendor of it all, and secondly, by their devotion to the law. And so Paul addresses this question. Now let's go to the next one, shall we? Now the reason this is so critical in my mind is that Jewish believers faced a very unique challenge in their day. They were uh, trying to continue to live by uh, Jewish faith, but yet be a believer in Jesus. Now we know, I'm not criticizing it because we know that Paul did it. Paul could walk right into the temple, had no problems. He could walk right where any Jewish person could go. Because for many, many years, the Jewish faith and the Christian faith were considered to be the same religion. And it was like a sect of Judaism. And so the Jews allowed this to go on. But as time went on, it became very obvious that Jewish leaders and Jewish 
uh, people felt that Jewish Christians had abandoned the rabbis, that they were abandoning the law. And so there came to be this conflict. And this is one of the beautiful things about Hebrews is it shows that there comes a point in your walk with God when you have to make a determination what it is you're going to follow. Are you going to follow what thus saith the word of God? Or are you going to let some conflict in your life dictate what you do in your life? And so they came to view Jewish Christians with a suspect. They looked at Jewish Christians as though they weren't just quite good enough. And then that caused... Uh, Jewish Christians themselves to have a problem with uniting with Gentiles because in their mind, they really, are you following me? I'm trying to take this step at a time. They, they begin to think that Gentiles, even though they met Jesus, found Jesus, got the Holy Ghost, they were not good enough. They needed to also become Jewish. That what really needed to happen, they sometimes, and this, there are different types of views on this, and sometimes we would call these people Judaizers. They actually tried to make Christians become Jews and actually be circumcised and go to the temple and all the rest of it. It was a very serious conflict that took place. And that is also important because Hebrews shows us what we must do when there is conflict, truth is involved, but how do you solve the conflict? And of course, how many knows the answer is always the word of God? Hallelujah. Everybody say praise the Lord. The answer is always the word of God. So many of these uh, Jewish Christians mistakenly thought that Gentiles would eventually embrace both. And of course, that was not true and it never happened. Eventually, Jewish Christianity faded away. And today it's a very minute number. Jews uh, are not even connected with Christianity and Christianity has outgrown Judaism and so forth. And so these Jewish Christians were neither Gentile nor Jewish. They were part of one and part of the other. And so this book addresses the problem that you face. And so the ultimate question then for the book of Hebrews or the message is, you cannot go back to your old life. And many of them thought because the structure was there that it didn't matter. The question was something like, well, so what? What does it matter in the end? I can go back to being what I used to be. How many are thankful that you found truth here tonight? Let's lift our hands and thank God for the truth here tonight. Father, we praise you because you've given us truth and you've helped us and you've given us strength. And we magnify your name. Now let's look at one more before we jump here into some uh, discussion about Hebrews chapter 1. And I'm not even going to, Lord help me with time. I'm going to try not to think about it. Um, I would just love for this to come on. Praise God. All right, so this, this picture here is an artist's rendition of the tabernacle, not the temple itself. Does everyone understand the difference, of course, between the tabernacle? The tabernacle they could take down, they would cover it, like it had a covering and, and it would be put together and then the, the Le, Le, Levites would come and get it all apart and then they could move and so forth. And uh, it, was, it was like a moving temple. And eventually David built the temple at, at the site where the temple was built. But the reason for looking at this for just a moment is that one can see that all of this was good. 
All of this was good. And this is what makes the study of the book of Hebrews so interesting because it is possible to be impressed by something that is good, but it is not the final good. It is not what God intends for you today. So someone could say, well, that's Jewish and that was good and God told Moses and Moses was great and so on. But of course, in, in fact, what happened is they got their eyes on the external. They began to see all of this and they were tempted then to backslide and to walk away from their experience in God. So we come now to a further important aspect of the book of Hebrews. What do I do when I get bored? Or what do I do when the things of God lose their interest for me? What, how am I supposed to respond? And what does God think? Because, folks, we are living in a day when people think whatever you want to believe, that's good. I mean, if you, if you want to worship a tree, you worship a tree. What, if you want to worship a, a statue, you worship a statue. If you want to believe that God is this or that, it really, as, long as, you, as long as that's your religion, that's the kind of day that we're in. But I am here to tell you that it is absolutely imperative that we know the truth and we live by the truth. And when we do, everything changes. Hallelujah. Praise God. No matter, no matter how it may look, God said, I've now moved past this. Now, let's go into the book of Hebrews for just a moment. I'd like to look at a couple things. Brother French, do you have uh, a way? Uh, well, uh, hold on. Maybe I won't have to do it. I need to rush here. So, first of all, the, there were Christians that were Jewish that were involved in the temple. We don't know exactly who they were. I could, I've, I've, I'm fascinated by it, uh, especially the theory that they were Essenes. They were the ones that lived up in where the Qumran manuscripts were found and, and where the Isaiah scroll was discovered and so forth. The Essenes were actually lived up there. They separated. They were very strict Jewish uh, they, some people actually, I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud, I should be careful here. Some scholars think that John the Baptist was an Essene and some don't. But the point is that what John was doing is very similar to what the Essenes were doing. They were very strict Jewish followers. They wanted desperately to, to please God. And so they moved away from all the things that were going on in the culture so that they could be better, uh, better uh, devoted to the law and so on. And, and they're the ones that uh, preserve the books of the Bible. In other words, God used the Essenes. I mean, you have to say it. I mean, what else can you say? There, there was no uh, greater discovery of Bible manuscripts than what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls. Is, in, is anybody following me? Am, am I just too deep here tonight? Okay, the Dead Sea Scrolls was that massive amount, 40,000 different scraps of manuscripts, where they found up in the caves a little shepherd boy threw a stone and heard a cracking of, uh, of a jar or something and, and the clay broken and, and they'd been there for thousands of years 
They had put them there. The Isaiah scroll was so delicate that the Jews took years before they would even let anybody take a picture of it because they were worried that the, the, the exposure would, would destroy the, the, the book of Isaiah. It was the oldest. In fact, the word of God is some of the oldest writings in, in the... There aren't there just simply... Someone said, well, the Chinese have ancient writings. I'm not, I'm not trying to go tit for tat here. What I'm trying to say is there really is no culture in the world that has a book that goes back like the word of God does. Thousands of manuscripts and a little shepherd boy accidentally finds it. In 1947, just throwing stones into the caves up there. When they finally realized what was happening, and, and of course Bedouins and different ones had come and taken a, a bunch of it. There's no telling what was taken. And then later it was sold on the basically the black market. And um, some people think we've recovered all of it because it was people were willing to pay millions of dollars to, to get some of that back. So that's what I mean by very interesting that these may have been the very people. It's possible. We, we don't know. It's, it sounds credible to me but what we know is and i i won't i'm not going to pause here but we know and when we get to it i'll point it out to you we know from hebrews that this was not a really large group of people so uh we'll we'll leave that as it is but what they were about to do was go back into judaism to just say well i've got the sacrifices and all this about jesus and whether he really rose and whether he really was this and that's when Paul said, you dare not trample the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to think seriously before you start making up your own walk. You must follow the way that God has given us. Now eventually we know from Acts chapter 28 that Paul gave up totally the idea of a national uh, repentance for Israel. He said, in fact, uh, I'm going to read you a couple quotes here uh, in verse 20. For the hope of Israel am I bound. In other words, he, he literally died and went to Rome and was in the condition he was in and ended up having his head cut off because he was trying and believed that somehow Israel would co totally convert to Christianity. And, of course, that never happened. And he gave it up. And we find this in the very last verses of the book of Acts. where, And I'm only quoting a very short portion of it. He says there, The salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles. In other words, it, it, the, this is prophetic that God is now not concentrating on Israel. And Paul saw that and admitted it. And he moved on. Now let's go to the next one. Now we also know that in 70, Titus destroyed the Jewish temple. That the temple that was so beautiful, that had been so many lives had been given for, that meant so much to, uh, to the uh, Jewish people, that they uh, were going to see it completely destroyed. Now Paul wouldn't see it. Because he was beheaded. But many, many Christians saw it. And of course the Jews saw it. And it's now history. That the temple was demolished. And whatever is there now. 
is the results of 2,000 years of, of destruction and moving things around and then it being covered over and then uh, the sands and so on and then eventually the Jews coming back and here we are today. Folks have been digging around there for a long time. But the he- book of Hebrews, Paul does three things that I want us to talk about. The first one is, and the key word, is the, the problem of drifting. Now, chapter 1 doesn't get deep into it, but the, an entire book of the Bible. Now, someone said to me recently, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I know you, some of you just can't feel it, but I just feel the presence of God. Someone said to me, um, well, uh, you know, the, the reason the word Trinity is not in the Bible is uh, blah, 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 blah. I said, That's, that doesn't even bother me. That's not what bothers me. We all know that if there were such a thing as the doctrine of the Trinity, there would be an entire book of the Bible. We have the book of Revelation that gives us details about the Antichrist. An entire book of the Bible. And then you come along and say, oh, well, uh, Jesus isn't the one God. He's the second part of God. And this is what the Bible meant by son. He's a son. Can't be a son and a father at the same time, although I'm a son and a father at the same time. But anyway, you can't be a son and a father at the same time. And therefore, now there's a trinity and, and uh, blah, blah, blah. Well, if that's true, number one, Jesus is the light of the world. He would have explained that to us. I hardly ever meet anybody that understands it. But if they do, they understand it differently than the last person that I talked to. In fact, just studying Nicaea and how they came up with it 300 years after Jesus uh, makes it very, very clear that none of this was intended by the apostles. None of them intended that you were supposed to believe that the usia of God... That God is one usia. That's, of course, Greek. He's one being, but he's three persons. And someone went, I thought a being and a person were the same. I thought it was a human being. Well, yeah, but you've got to get real technical here because somehow the Father and the Son are two separate, not God, can't say gods, because that would be two gods. But they're two persons in one being. They're just one being. So the son is identical to the father. Well, then why do you need them? If they're identical, why do you need them? If the son and the father are identical, and there's not a thing different about them, they don't think different, they never say anything different. I'll never forget the many times they sit down and say, now the father always says what the son says and the son says what the father says and they're, and they're in a committee and they're all in agreement and they never have an argument. They never disagree. You know why? Because what kind of God would that be? If you had a God that they were disagreeing. I want grass to be green. What kind of, what kind of a God would that be? No, I want grass to be yellow. Now we're all glad that whoever that was won out. And that it's green. But of course that's all a bunch of hocus pocus. Had there been a change from the law of Moses and the word of God that had already been given. To now say, oh, oh, by the way, I've been telling you I'm one. Oh, Shema Yisrael. That's all baloney. 
I'm actually three. And you must believe that I'm three. There would have been an entire book. We might have even had several more books. The book of how to help you with your headache. Now that you understand a little bit about the Trinity. There would have been a book. I'm convinced of it. If there were a Trinity, there would be a book that says, here is the book where you no longer have to take Alka-Seltzer when you try to understand how a father and a son are identical twins to each other. Or why they're even called a father and a son. And why the Holy Ghost is not related to either one of them. But yet we have book after book that are dedicated to issues and things of importance. And I want to tell you something, folks. Your Bible is important to your life. Your Bible is important to your life. It isn't just something, oh, well, what's my favorite verse? Or some people throw up, you know, like dice and which, whichever scripture is sticking up, that's the scripture for the day. Now, if you do that, I don't know, I've never heard of it. I'm just talking here. But where the Bible is just sort of this uh, uh, kind of, you know, spin the wheel kind of a thing. No, no, no. The Bible is the basis of our lives. It's what we come back to. That way every generation has the rock. There's that rock. <laughs> Hallelujah. It's the same rock for your children that it was for you. Hallelujah. Praise God. All right. So, so the, whole, uh, the whole point of the book of Hebrews was to give warning to the Christian church about drifting. Now, I use the word drifting because that's what Paul uses. But we know, of course, that he means backsliding. He's talking about losing what you had because you're bored. Losing what you've got because you become impressed with something else. It does happen. Some people, this happens in college. Some people, this happens when they meet some guy or some girl and suddenly they're fooling around out there doing things they should have never done. And the Apostle Paul calls this drifting. And he's going to use the, the uh, Israelites to, uh, and, and their desire to just say, well, does it really matter? And of course, ultimately, I'm going to answer the question, did these people go back to Judaism? I'm, I may uh, tackle that. All right, so there are three things here in this area of drifting. First of all, you dare not return to that from which you are delivered. How many are thankful that you've been delivered tonight? Let's lift our hands and praise God for his delivering power. Lord, we do. We thank you that, that you've delivered us, Lord, and, and that you've been in our hearts and you've helped us. And we praise you for it, O oh God. Number two, apathy and lukewarmness lead to backsliding. If you are apathetic, if you just don't care, you are on the road to backsliding. If you are lukewarm, now I'm using different terms here, but if you get to a place where you just sort of say, well, all that emotion and all that excitement and all that revival business, that's not for me, and you start, all the embers start cooling down, then you are in trouble. And number three, longing for the world chokes out your faith. Because they don't mix. When you start looking at the gold and the splendor. And you start looking at the dazzle and turning the knob. And 
saying, well, look, look at them. They, they've got it together. Look at the kind of car they're driving. And all the things that the world does to appeal, then you are going to choke out spiritual life. But when you look at Jesus, hallelujah, when you start saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen, folks, really, this is what, and, and I'm going to hurry. I only need a few more minutes here. But the thing that is truly important is, can I know who Jesus is? Anybody glad you know who Jesus is tonight? I want to get closer to Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. Every day I want to draw closer to him. Praise God. Okay, so let's go. Hebrews 1, God who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake. Here we go. One, next one should do it. He spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Now, chapter 1 is going to begin this journey of speaking to these folks and trying to revitalize in them a commitment and understanding to who Jesus is. And can I say tonight, the most important thing you do is worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowing who he is and loving him is the most important thing that you do. Not what does the preacher know and, and uh, will he ever see and oh don't tell don't don't tell anybody because you know no 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 what I'm doing is I'm living the way I'm living because I have a relationship with the Son of God. Praise God. Oh hallelujah. And he's worthy tonight. And that's of course chapter one. So he has spoken unto us now, Paul says, by the Son. Now, of course, it's only obvious that Trinitarians have taken this to mean that there was nobody speaking for the Son, and then, which is the explanation why we don't know about the Son, that he didn't speak in the Old Testament, and now he speaks. He was hiding around, and he was going, you know, oh, here, let me hide behind this ring. And he'd stick his head out, and he was the rock that followed him, things like that. He hinted around, oh, hey, you're gonna, one of these days you're going to find out there's more than one. That kind of a thing. But, of course, that has absolutely nothing to do with Hebrews. In fact, God revealing himself by means of or by the Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Could we, are you able to see that? I, I think that's almost too small. If you have your Bible open, we can read it together. Here we go. God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers, by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. Okay? And of course this is true but here, I want to, while I'm explaining it I want to be very clear that the notion that God is now revealing a son who is another God or person of God and that that second person of God created the world and the Father did nothing is absolutely not so. When the Bible said that he did it by means of the Son, he very clearly points out throughout Scripture what he means. And I'm going to explain it in this sentence. The one God created as deity. In other words, he didn't create it as man. You got, no man could have created the world. 
He created all things as deity. So that one God created as deity and predicated upon the foreknowledge of his coming as man. Can you say praise the Lord? That is to say that he did everything with the truth of Calvary in view. He knew from the beginning what he would do. In fact, how many believe that God knows everything? Does anybody, I wish we had a good response to that. God knows everything. I had a fellow tell me not too long ago, well, if God knows everything, then you have no free will because then God took a picture of whatever you're going to do in the future and it cannot be changed. I said, how do you know? Do you know everything? If you knew everything, I'd listen to it. But you don't know everything, nor do you know all contingencies. So that we serve a God that can know every, every move of the, every which way it will go and know the end before it gets here. That's the kind of a God that we're serving. Okay, okay, you got to stay calm. This is a Bible study. All right. So he predicated everything that he created. He created everything upon the foreknowledge of the coming, just like he was slain from the foundation of the world. He wasn't slain back there, but of course, he, it was as though he were slain because God saw it and knew it, and in his foreknowledge, he knew all that was taking place, and nothing was created that was not done through Jesus Christ. What, what are we trying to talk about? What is Paul trying to say? You can burn the temple to the ground. And there is a God that had everything planned out from the very beginning. And this God came as Jesus Christ. And you're about to walk away and say, all I need is a temple. You are the biggest fool that ever lived. Malachi says, hath not one God created us? Isaiah 44, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone. Everyone say alone. There weren't two of them. Weren't three of them, or four, or ten. There was one. And he created everything with the foreknowledge of the Son in view. And that's why I put there, by means of the Son. And he hath appointed, he has been appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made. Because of the Greek, it's through whom, through Jesus Christ, everything was made. Doesn't mean that, but, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to hold back. I, I don't have to say everything here. But it was through Jesus Christ, through the foreknowledge of what the Son would do. Every time, uh, every time a, a, an Old Testament sacrifice was given, how do you think for a minute that the blood of a lamb could wash somebody's sins away. It never washed a sin away. It was through the foreknowledge of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's how it washed it away. Abraham longed to see my day. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Okay, let's go. Thus saith the Lord God that created the heavens. Let's, here we go. One more. That created the heavens. Of course, Lord, there's all capitals. And uh, that, of course, is Yahweh in the, in the Hebrew. 
We know that because the King James translators are the only strict translation that refused to translate it Lord unless they capitalized every letter. To symbolize yud heh vav heh the name of God. For thus saith Yahweh, or Jehovah, whichever name, I don't care which one you call it, that created the heavens, God himself, I want to say himself, not themselves, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He hath established it, which means he's, he's fixed it solid. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. Okay? Now that's word and that's what we live by. So there couldn't have been two gods involved in creation in any way whatsoever. Now, someone said to me, I understand it. I'm not said I'm trying to be clear, trying to preach the word here tonight. Someone said to me, I've heard it many times, but, but I've heard it fairly recent. That, uh, well, the father wasn't involved in creation, only the son. That's why it says he was alone. I said, well, are you telling me he was alone? Well, no. Okay, then what are you telling me? Well, I'm telling you that he created it alone. He did it by himself, but he wasn't alone. So in other words, this doesn't mean what the Hebrews thought it meant, that God was absolutely alone in creating. You're telling me that the son did it by himself. But he wasn't alone. Right? That's what I'm telling you. So you're trying to tell me that the father created the world through the son. And the father didn't have a thing to do with it. Now, let me ask you this. Did the father want it done? Yes, he's involved. How many more steps do you want to go? If you're telling me that the son who is a person of God did something over here and the other person never knew a clue, he was going around going, blah, 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 didn't even know what was happening. Oh, let me tell you something, friend. I want the devil to know that Jesus is a glorious, mighty God. He is my God. He's my God. And there's nobody beside him. Nobody above him. Nobody with him. He is God. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image. Here we go. The express image of his person. We're on, we're on, here we come. They're, they're doing so good. Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, which of course proves right there that God is only one person. Can you say praise the Lord? Oh, hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He is the express image of his person that is, of course, God. And upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down 
on the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, if I were to take that last bit apart very long at all, we would go nowhere else. So please, just give me a little room here to, to develop this entire verse. And then we will come back to, which is basically Psalm 10, which is my next important point, that the book of Hebrews is really a look at the Psalms about who Jesus is, especially Psalm 110. And so this is a quote from Psalm 110. But number one, the invisible God made his person visible in human form. In fact, character, does anyone know what English word we got from that? Character, I left it in the Greek, I'm sorry. But I was uh, a a little, uh, I, I was thinking I wouldn't, but I did. So there it is, character, there's the Greek. It's the only Greek word on that overlay. So you could probably tell which one that is. Character. What English word do we get from that? Character. I'm not saying that character in English and character are identical. I'm saying we got the word character from this Greek word. So the one God who was not visible was expressly or exactly. Everyone say exactly. Some of you are not getting it. Exactly. Exactly. Precisely. The precise image. It was was like you looked in the mirror. That's God. I'm looking in the face of God. Someone said, but I'm looking at a man. Yes, but he is the precise image of the invisible God. How can that be? He must be God's image. Can't be his nephew or his uncle. It's got to be him. If you've got the exact and total, unless, of course, you have gods and they're identical twins. If you have identical twins and they do and think and never do anything apart, then, then that's what you have. If you have that, well, then that would be some kind of an explanation. But, of course, it would make no sense whatsoever. And these people, and Paul is not referring to it whatsoever, but that the invisible is clearly and exactly replicated in the human perfection of Jesus. And therefore, Thomas can say, I won't believe until I see the nail prints. What do you think convinced Thomas? When he walked over and there Jesus was. He'd been crucified and they'd seen how brutal it had been. And they saw the flesh fly off of his, of his back. And they saw how they beat and how they pushed the crown into his brow. And they saw the nails rip into his hands and feet. And Thomas, someone said, but he's, he's, he's alive, Thomas. You're not going to believe it, but he's actually alive. I saw him myself. And he says, I'm not, I'm not, I won't believe that. Unless I can just put my hands right in, the, in, in his side. I, I, I won't believe That was sort of an exaggeration, which we know, because when Jesus walked in the room, Thomas never said any such a thing. He was awed and suddenly the revelation of who this really was, 
this is not just a man. This is God in front of me. And he cried out, my Lord and my God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, what a wonderful thing when you can be in a church where you can get a revelation of who Jesus is. Also, Jesus is God in his unshared glory. He is, he is the being. He being. I would say being. He being the brightness of his glory. So the man, Christ Jesus, was the glory of God in unshared brightness, as, as it were. Now, all that imagery will just leave for another time. Jesus existed as God, though he was man. Jesus then is, though man, the being, the one being of God, who spoke all things into existence by his word. And therefore, he alone sits in the seat of power over all things. He is the only man, he is the only one that has ever sit over all things. Let's go to verse 4. Being made so much better than the angels. Is it, is it up there yet? Can you read it? I, it's a little hard to see, but if you can, help me read it. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So Jesus is superior. The word better is from the Greek word that means superior or better, whichever word you want to use. King James says better. I'm good with that. But I'm also good with superior. He is superior to all that exists in the created order, including the angels, which are the apex of the created order. How many have ever heard of archangels? How many ever heard of angels? How many believe in angels? Anybody here believe in angels? All right, good, good. If you don't, don't say you don't. Don't say, don't say, I don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. Because they, 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 they're pretty close. You don't want to do that. You don't want to get them upset at you. All right. I, I'm just kidding. You, I'm just kidding. All right. So Jesus, so he was, he was, he being made, which in the little black box there, I've explained why this is important that genom, genomai is used instead of some other word. Because genomai means to be born. So we could take this, it can also mean made, but my point is that to say that he being made, the idea is that he came into existence or he was born even as just a lowly baby. Woo-hoo-hoo. Superior to the highest of the created order. (laughs) Nobody! Oh, we're making the devil mad tonight. Hallelujah! We're going to take another second or two, but we're making the devil mad. Jesus is greater than anything in all this world. There's nobody. There's nobody, nobody. And all the angels that are around. I, I humbly submit and know that I am a lower 
order than angels. When I go home, I'm going to take a car. I won't flap any wings or anything. I won't disappear. I won't walk through walls. I won't be here and there like a messenger, like the wind, which is what Hebrew says they are. They're like ministering wind or spirits. I wouldn't boast myself to be such as that. I know that I'm just flesh, but I'm redeemed flesh. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so when I say tonight, I look up at this lovely building and I see the, the lights and I love to do it. And I love to stand here before God. But as I do and the angels hear me and they send word, get word back to Michael. <laughs> Brother French is preaching about the greatness of Jesus. Let him know because Michael would want to know that somebody's got it right. That there's nobody, there's nothing like Jesus. There's nobody like Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. So send a word. Now it may be, uh, I doubt it takes very long. I'm I'm being a little, uh, let's stand. I'm going to stop here. But, I doubt it takes long. Brother French, do you ever think, uh, like, how long does it take when you push a call for your phone to start ringing? China, let's say. A couple seconds. So I used to think there was a, like a messenger, because the Bible uses the word messenger, so, but not because it takes that long to get word to the throne room. And not because God doesn't know himself. Because he knows without the angels. He doesn't depend on angels. That's not what I'm saying. I'm simply telling you that whenever word reaches the angelic host. That we are elevating Jesus above everything in this world. Above everything we have or think we need. In fact, you know what we ought to do tonight? I know you want to go home, but before we do, I'm, about, look, I'm stopping right here. I wonder if we could just lift him up in praise for just a moment and tell him how much we love him. Father, we were sinners. Yes. We were sinners, but now we are saved. We're, we were unclean, and now we are washed, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. We were nothing, oh God. We were going back to the dust and our spirit back to God. But you cleansed us, Lord, and your blood, oh Jesus. No angel ever knew such a thing, Lord, because you came and became a fellow with us. You became a companion with us, O oh God. And yet you were greater than anything you touched. You were greater than those that nailed your hands to the wood. And we love you for it. And the angels rejoice because we are rejoicing. Praise God. Do you believe the angels rejoice when somebody comes to repentance? Do you believe the angels are noticing what we're doing? You better believe it. They're noticing us. Hallelujah.
praise God. Hallelujah. Well, we need to be dismissed. Let's lift our hearts. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Now, Lord, we've got to do better next time, so help me. Lord, I, I'm way too, I like it way too much. And I've got to cover this in short order. And I pray that you will bless and keep your hands on your people. Many of them are going through valleys. But tonight, Lord, you've given us a fresh touch. And we're going to make it one more day. And we give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Remember all the events this weekend. We love you. We'll see you. Shake hands and greet one another. Praise God. Praise God.